It's not just to one place. <laughs> I have pain here. In my famous ass. It's not that bad, is it? Well, you can hear them, and you can you can see them a little bit. I mean, you know, fortunately, you know, you, you learn to play the ball. But I'm not going to say it was a, a total distraction, but it is a little annoying, maybe. No, I shouldn't have to change for any other circumstance. I like my hair. It's just things flying in the air that you're not supposed to be seeing. It's not that bad, is it? Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And we wanted to take a bit of a break, do a little change of pace with this episode, uh, just give you hopefully something a little more fun and less heavy. What's the point in having segments if you don't use them? Right. So we're trying to pack basically every segment we've ever done into the same episode. The Spelling Bee is back. Name the Tennis Player is back. See, what happened was, is back. Which kind of segues into the rant, which it normally does. And then Jonathan is taking a quiz. I did not know I was. Well, now you know. Get ready. So you're going to be heading to South Carolina in just a few days, right? Yeah, I'm still not ready. I did some shopping yesterday. Went and got a a tennis kit. A tennis outfit. A tennis kit. Because... A, I haven't played tennis in a long time, and B, there's tentative plans for a few tennis Twitter folks to meet up and maybe have a hit on clay while we're down there Mm -hmm. somewhere. And presumably, there may be pictures. I don't know. I didn't need to be looking busted all over the internet. (laughs) So, Are you going to be wearing, like, a designer kit? No. Well, I bought, like, a t-shirt slash top from H&M. I mean, if if Berdick isn't going to be wearing H&M, somebody might as well mm-hmm. be, right? So you're going to be repping H&M in place of Tomas? <laughs> so I come home and I put the outfit on to show you, and you're like, wow, that looks very Federarian. And I do not know whether to take that as a compliment or not. It's like, is this bitch trying to shade me right now? No, it looked cute. I'm, I actually like Federer's uh, sort of late career fashion a lot, much more than when he wore collars. I like the no-collar thing. So anyway, there's still a lot of planning to go into what the body serve coverage is going to look like in Charleston. A lot of it is just winging it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So look out for that. I mean, tell me about it. I have to take the dog out alone. Oh, dear. I have to do all the walks. I have to get myself to work every day, which I do normally. But it's just so much pressure. I'd love to be jaunting off to the south. Mm. So why don't you get us started with Name the Tennis Player? Are you going to be quizzing me? I'm going to give the clues now, and then at the end of the episode, I'm going to give the answer. Oh, okay. So you can guess before I give the answer, because folks who are listening would have then had time to try and figure out themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So the five clues, write them down if you need to. Centurion, chest bump, 6235, Serena Slam, and Double Mint. Mm-hmm. Do you have the slightest clue? Perhaps. We'll get back to it. When you say perhaps, do you say, do you mean that you have a, a solid idea and inkling or like a shot in the dark? Uh, I, we'll see. Mm. So take us through to see what happened was. Okay. So I was on the internet today while at work doing some body serve research about Venus And I came across this op-ed piece from John McEnroe from 2000, uh, written right after the U.S. Open. And I'm not sure if I was was just not aware enough of tennis at the time, or maybe I've just forgotten this or, you know, blocked it out. But apparently, back in the day, John McEnroe kicked off this whole drama by asserting that basically any old male tennis player, Joe dude off the street, could beat Venus and Serena. He was uh, troubled by their their arrogance and their cockiness, and clearly he wanted to take them down a peg. So he said, listen... That they were cold as ice. Yeah. So the media kind of grabbed this and ran with it and put out the story that John McEnroe was challenging the Williams sisters to a match, which he said, absolutely not. I have no interest in playing them. That's not what this is about. 
basically, I just want to demean women because they're getting too big for their britches. That's really what it was about. And he also said that Donald Trump reached out to him mm -hmm. and offered him a million dollars in 2000 to have a match against Venus or Serena. All right. If there were ever a man who took every opportunity to keep women in their place, that's Donald Trump. And so this story got pushed around, you know, John McEnroe's challenging Venus and Serena. Richard Williams said, absolutely not. Venus and Serena were not interested. It turns out nobody was interested, except for Donald Trump. So after Venus won the U.S. Open in 2000, John McEnroe decides to write this very petty, bitchy op-ed for The Telegraph in the U.K. about how Sure, Venus and Serena are very talented, but they're very arrogant, and I quote, they don't have respect for anyone in the game. And he goes on to say, you know, when he was a young player, he was shy, and that's why he didn't talk a lot. Yeah, shy. You're thinking of the right person. But regardless of his terrible behavior, he always had respect for his elders. So he says. So I the, he claims that the point of this op-ed was to debunk the idea that he's at the core of drumming up this media storm, right? Mm -hmm. And that he himself never said he wants to play Serena, didn't want to have this Bobby Riggs-style match some 26 years after the fact. Right. But then, him scripting this whole op-ed pivots to then just take a massive dump all over the Williams family. Mm -hmm. Not just Venus and Serena, but Richard... And call them all manner of things. Like, did he, what did he have to say about Martina Hingis? Mm hmm. I don't think that we can, we cannot have a discussion of late 90s, early 2000s arrogance in tennis without mentioning Martina Hingis. <laughs> he says, people start taking pot shots at me for no reason. Richard Williams, who called me Mr. McEnroe when we first met, but just grunts if we see each other these days says he's not interested. Of course he's not interested. What, why, and of would course, he... why would he be respectful toward you right now? He says, you just don't see their kind of behavior in other sports. Serena started it when she said a year ago that she should play a couple of men's tournaments. Do women golfers say they, say they could go out and beat Tiger Woods? Do women boxers think they could knock Lennox Lewis out? Of course not. And then he says, Venus Williams beats Natalie Toziat at the Open and says that even a really, really bad Venus is tough to beat. Where is their humility? Now, listen, we've talked about this before. A really, really bad Venus in the year 2000 was very hard to beat. <laughs> and uh, a really bad Venus and Serena are still hard to beat. 20, some, 20 years later, almost. It's as if nobody paid any attention to the history of sport. This exact thing happened with Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. The exact same thing. When he was in his prime and running his mouth and saying all manner of things, a hundred times, quote-unquote, worse than the Williams sisters ever did, people lambasted him left, right, and center, right? It's only until the latter days of his career and then in retirement when he's, you know, not seen as a threatening mm -hmm. figure anymore. And a lot of that has to do with black masculinity, Right. Uh, you know, white people and white men feeling emasculated and threatened by black men. Right. And you can draw that parallel to these young black women in tennis. The white establishment felt threatened by them. And that's the only way you can really situate this argument. They did. And there's also this element of, you know, there is a pleasure that a lot of people take in knocking women down and knocking black women down. It's like the tennis establishment here personified by John McEnroe was licking their lips. They could not wait to demean these women, to put them in their place, to tell them that their arrogance was unfounded. And what you have is an incredibly self-serving essay here. It's positioning himself as more mature, as experienced, as... You know, I was a piece of shit, but I had class. Well, these girls need to learn some respect. And so the reason that 
this was interesting to me is because not because I wanted to dredge up the past, but because it's so relevant today in tennis with the crusade led by John McEnroe against Nick Kyrgios. It's so familiar. These conversations are being repeated over and over again. But also, let's not forget that just because we've had these come to Jesus moments or come to Jehovah moments <laughs> with the Williams sisters in recent years, particularly with the redemptive moments supposedly at Indian Wells mm. and the way in which they're finally getting a portion of the due that should have come to them a long time ago, that McEnroe's essay here is very much what the public reception was to the Williams sisters at the time. Right. Like, this was not him stepping out of line. Like, this is what it was for them. It was that toxic and and the animus was mm. so great. We know from current experience that when black people want too much, when they achieve too much, when they celebrate their achievements too much, there is a portion of the white population who will become very, very angry. We saw this with the election and Obama. Yes. Like, Trump is a direct response to the Obama years, mm -hmm. right? You can have your success, but you can't be too expressive about it, right? You have to right. celebrate and, and enjoy it in the ways that we allow you to and we deem it okay for you to enjoy it. But you also have to save room for non-black people to have success. If you take too much of our success, we are also going to hate you. <laughs> you know, there's so many things at play here. And then again in 2015, John McEnroe said, basically in his Mariah Carey, I still don't know her moment. He said, I could still beat Serena Williams. But this is how arrogant he is because he claims that the very first go-around, he had nothing to do with it. But then the second mm -hmm. go-around, it's entirely him, right? entirely on him, bringing it back to the fore. And so there's and a... Wait, also, let's not forget that the first time it happened wasn't just out of the blue. Like, it came from a New Yorker article that he gave, an mm. interview he gave, that he claims was taken out of context. No, he wanted to chop them down. Look how what a concerted effort it has been on his part to cut down Nick Kyrgios. No, but my point is, that is my point, mm -hmm. that don't buy the bullshit of the 2000 article, this op-ed that he right. wrote, claiming that he didn't start this because he did. Mm -hmm. And now, in 2015, he's joking that, oh, I think Donald Trump didn't offer me enough money. <laughs> like, that's supposed to be funny. Also... He says Donald Trump offered him a million dollars in 2000. There is no way John McEnroe in 2000 doesn't seriously consider a million dollars for a one-off <laughs> tennis match. Right? Right. Uh, how, like, how many uh, alimony checks is he writing per month? Like, to say that, okay, fine, it, it wasn't worth it for a million dollars. Given all his considerations, mm. fine. But to laugh it out of the room and dismiss it like, well, if if they came and gave me like a hundred million dollars, you're not getting a hundred million dollars. Mm. That's just not <laughs> happening. Like a million is not an outrageously low figure. I think in life, the things that really bug you, that really grind your gears are often things that remind you of the worst aspects of yourself, right? So... John McEnroe protests too much about decorum and respect on the tennis court with Kyrgios, with Venus, Serena, etc. Maybe, maybe there's the smallest insecurity about the way he comported himself. Am I giving him too much credit? Probably. Yeah. But then he also... But why does it anger him so much? Because he's petty. Right. But is he trying to make himself look better no, he by contrast? Part of it, he has a huge ego, obviously. Yeah. He needs to be in the spotlight. True. Like, he is Johnny Mac, right? Like, he... Mm. It's what's allowed him to have a decades-long career of not doing any research and just being... Right. And just trading on his personality he, as a commentator. Yeah. He will also never, ever, ever forget the bitterness of not winning a major after 1984. He won't. Having one of the best seasons in tennis history, male or female, and then just not reaching the summit again. I think he feels his career is a dream deferred. 
The really peculiar part about this op-ed in 2000 is that after he goes on and on and on and goes to great lengths to, to take down the Williams sisters, he's in, he then pivots to then say, oh, well, we've got something better on the ATP tour, mm. which is pretty much what it reads as, right? Saying that Marat Safin, of all people, <laughs> is just somebody who should be marketed to the moon and back uh, yeah. for the ATP because he's such a great guy. And you know who else is coming up to who is pretty awesome? Leighton Hewitt. Like, pretty much the two early 2000s Bra- McEnroe's, put it yeah. that way, right? Mm. But because they're white and male, the behaviors that they then exude and display become more... They, they can be celebrated. Mm-hmm. But if you put a touch of blackness and womanness with the Williams sisters with that same behavior, it's like the end of the world. Mm. Yeah, so I would caution everyone, including myself, to look at critiques of Nick Kyrgios and other non-white players with a critical eye moving forward, especially if it's coming from someone like John McEnroe. In his follow-up op-ed, it wasn't an op-ed, it was an interview with what, Kimmel or Fallon or somebody like that on TV in 2015? Mm, I don't remember. Where he says, I could still beat Serena Williams. He says, Serena, she's got a lot to lose by losing to an old man like myself. And I've got a lot to lose because if I lose to, God forbid, a woman, then I'm not allowed in any men's locker room for the next 15 years or possibly to the end of my life. Mm. That says it all. I'm sure they got a chuckle from the crowd, though. Mm -hmm. First of all, Serena is too busy for this shit, okay? She's trying to prolong her career in when... Um, four times as many majors as you have. (laughs) And secondly, nobody the fuck is interested. Nobody. Like, literally nobody is interested in this matchup. No, and (laughs) this casual sexism, it's as casual as it can get, right? Because Mm -hmm. people find it funny, Right, such a great joke, laugh, laugh, ha, ha, ha. It's at the core of why women's sport is undervalued. Yeah. And always held in comparison to men's sports. And we've talked about this all the time. Like, people don't value the WTA because they feel that because a man can serve harder or the 200th ranked person, if that journeyman person can beat the Williams sisters, then they can't be good. Right? Right. But and that's women's sport is useless if they can't beat men, right? And McEnroe's comments here is the, is the embodiment of that. Because men... It's not about women seeing their value in comparison to men. It's about men preserving their own self-worth in comparing themselves to women. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. His comments could have been delivered on like a 1950s talk show shrouded in cigarette smoke. You know, I imagine like two men in suits talking on a talk show in black and white. Like there's no difference. In some ways, not a lot has changed. Bottom line, this really upset us. (laughs) And another thing. John McEnroe is emblematic of this devaluing of women's sports because he can go on the most prestigious stages in women's sport in the entire world unprepared Mm -hmm. without having done his homework. And that's cool. And people pay him to do it. And think he's an expert. And in that 2000 op-ed, he's talking about how people thought I was begging to commentate women's matches. And apparently there was a big, there was some outrage that he was commentating as a sub for Chris Everett at one of the US Open matches. Mm. And he's like, contrary to what a lot of people think, I don't beg to do women's matches. I'm not crawling on my hands and knees saying, please put me on the Venus Williams match so I can watch her. Mm. I mean, the tone of this piece is Trumpian. You are a professional tennis commentator. You th- Those th- words should never come out of your mouth. Never. He did, small caveat, in the next paragraph, he did say that Venus versus Davenport was the match of the tournament. Okay. On either side. <laughs> Probably because he called it, right? <laughs> right. It's the only one he watched, aside from the men's final. What are the bottom lines from this rant? Okay. The bottom lines are, this sort of thinking is alive and well in tennis. This poisonous cretin is still a 
prominent figure in pro tennis. That's two. Never going away. Right. We should just accept that. Because soon he'll he'll enter like the the uh, venerated category when he's old enough. He already is. What do you mean venerated? Well, like more respected because he's old, you know. Like I maintain that the people who really have issue with John McEnroe are the people who are really following tennis intimately on a week to week basis, who think critically about sport. The casual person doesn't give a damn mm. about yeah about John McEnroe and his fuckery. To be frank. <laughs> But he was he was famous in a way that most tennis players have never been for people older than us. Which is also know? why he survives. Right, right. The point being, that veneration has happened long ago. Okay. <laughs> like, he's so deeply ingrained in the tennis fabric, there's no ridding him. The thing that I'm also coming to is, we were, we were hard on Nick years ago. Probably a year and two years ago, uh-huh. right? And a lot of that was because we didn't like his macho swagger. And I'm coming to a point where I want to be more and more forgiving of kids, of boys and girls, young men and young women who what? I still I still wouldn't classify him as a kid or but, a young boy. But when he when he was 18, 19. Yes. And not just sure. him. Not just him. Sure. These kids didn't even go to high school, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them are learn or like go to school at the academy. They didn't go to college. They had totally different experiences than you or I or most people. And this is a pretty unique experience becoming a celebrity and, and working basically for yourself at such a young age and having to grow up in front of cameras, in front of crowds and critical critical people like like us like commentators with a lot more power like the people on tv that's tough and i think when we we sort of argue that someone has no respect or they have no manners or they shouldn't do this they shouldn't do that we really have to kind of take a step back and reevaluate cuz i think someone like nikirios is has proven himself to be very sensitive and he takes these things really personally. And a lot of a lot of the times his reaction is to is to punch back. I mean, these are things that we've been saying for a while now mm. on the podcast. I will just always be given pause when those sentiments you just expressed come up against my long held aversion to giving men a free pass for their poor behavior. Right. Because of the systemic advantages that they have. Mm. Right? Like, I I will always expect more from men in comparison to other folks. Yeah. Because we don't expect enough of men, by and large. Agreed, yeah. So, like, the point at which those two thoughts intersect is where I have feelings. (laughs) So let's move on. Agreed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't we talk about these polls that you so ingeniously put out into the Twitterverse. Ingeniously. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know they were there, and all of a sudden, one of them had like 300 responses. You, uh, I, I appreciate you doing the most mm. right now. <laughs> <laughs> A bit much, but thank you. Uh, so, there were two polls. Both alike in dignity. Limited. Do you know? <laughs> no, I don't know what that is. What is that? It's from the... Opening to Romeo and Juliet. Oh, no. See, I don't know that. Go on. Both limited to just four options, which in itself makes it difficult because if you think of the long history of Grand Slam tennis and professional tennis, it's damn near impossible to just limit it to four. Like, Mm. absolute best. Yeah, so what is the poll about? There were more suggestions. I wanted folks to not just vote, but then opine and tell us who they think and why mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? And we got a lot of interesting So what responses. are they voting on? They're voting who's the, the best player to have never won a slam. I don't think you said that. I didn't say that? No. I mean, I said it at the top of the show. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, not everyone listens... To be clear... Not everyone listens to the table of contents, okay? To be clear, the polls are about who are the best WTA and ATP players Never to have won a Grand Slam singles title. Not, it's not about the worst player to have won a Slam? 
No, I find that, that would to be, be interesting. <laughs> I find it to be very bitchy. It is mean. And mean-spirited. And somebody suggested that, and I was not having it. Oh, excuse me? No. Oh, well, Good, Miss Goody Two-Shoes. So let's start with best woman player without a slam title. Now, in the poll, Elena Dementieva won in a landslide. She got 60% of the vote out of the four. I made it known that that was my choice as well. <laughs> and uh, the responses that we got were, well, let's talk about who the four choices were in the poll. Okay. There was Dementieva, there was Mary Jo Fernandez, Tanara Safina, and Helena Sukova. Some folks were surprised that Mary Jo Fernandez was in there. Mm-hmm. Didn't even know that she'd been to three Grand Slam finals. Right. <laughs> and some folks were like, definitely Mary Jo is up there, if not the number one. And we got a couple of responses that were like, Mary Jo, obviously, mm-hmm. followed by Dementieva. And uh, for me, putting Safina in there, or Safina, I, I don't know. Safina. I Safina? Think. Yeah. Uh, putting Safina in there was kind of the group leader of that slamless number one right. class and that that short window yes where that, serena and venus were was niaki that yankovic um i mean ivanovic has a slam mm-hmm. but it was that that same 2010 2011 there was that vacuum period mm-hmm. right and so any of those other two could have gone in there fine uh sukova was kind of a, a throwback uh you can look at it like, okay, fine, we have the 80s represented, the 90s with Mary Jo, uh, the earlier 2000s, and mm. then the later 2000s. Okay. So, I mean, Dementiva is certainly a valid pick. She is up there. She has been to two Grand Slam finals in 2004. She lost to Mesquina at the French in, unfortunately, a total blowout. She then got to the U.S. Open final that year, lost to Kuznetsova. She played that hell of a semifinal against Serena at Wimbledon. I mean, that's, of the past 10 years, that is one of the classic women's matches. In 2009, she held a match point in the third set. Serena, I I don't know. I do not know how she held that match point. She... Saved that match point, you mean? Right. I believe there was like a backhand slice approach shot and she came to the net very very risky but elena never got another match point in that match but she also has a gold medal from the beijing olympics and a silver one too right, right. yeah uh, there is a space of eight years and between her record those. against serena is pretty damn good compared it's, to everybody else in right? the last of serena's career yeah it's five and seven versus serena and if you look at some of the other players listed like Helena Sukova has much, much worse records against the top players of her era. So there's definitely something going for Elena there. That being said, I actually would vote for Sukova. She's my pick. Okay. I think, first of all, she reached four Grand Slam finals. And listen to who she lost to, in order. Evert, Navratilova, Graf, Graf. Like, that is just really bad luck. That sucks. <laughs> I, uh, I've i never seen a full match of Sukova's, but I have been watching some clips over the past few days. And it's just... It's, a, it's exciting because it's a style of tennis that I honestly don't know that much about because we rarely see it these days. She was a natural servant volleyer. And what's exciting to me is that is kind of the variety of volleys that are being hit. If you watch her play Chris Evert, it's I think today when people when top players play at the net, it's drop volley, drop volley. It's it's everything dies right at the front of the net, mm. right? They're trying to end the point. Sukova played just these volleys that hit the baseline, that hit the sidelines, that went deep, short, well, any sort of volley players, you think of. These these were players who were supremely confident at net. Right. They weren't concerned about having to hit as a follow-up second, third, or fourth volley because they felt that they were they were there to win the point. Mm-hmm. They could win the points. And they didn't need to end it on the first volley. No, there was strategy involved mm-hmm. in some of those volleys as well. 
For me, any of the three from Dementiva, Sokova, or Marijo, entirely acceptable picks. Safina, not so much. She won Madrid and Rome. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the meanest Serena shades ever. No, Safina had her day. I think she made three major finals. I mean, there's Yankovic, there's Wozniacki, who's still very much active, who had a very long stretch at number one, like more than one year. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's also Radwanska, who's been in the top 10 for like a zillion years, who challenged Serena in a Wimbledon final, won a set, and uh, there's, a, there's a case to be made for her as well. Maybe not toward the top of that pack, but... I think you also have to make a case for Pam Shriver. Don't oh, laugh me out the yeah. room. No, 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 you're right. You're right. Because she was top 10 for a long time in the 80s. She was even ranked number three in the in the height of the ne- the, the, the Navratilova years in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has, I think, 20 singles titles made, I believe it was a 79 US Open final. Her second slam ever, she made the final, and then she made a handful of semifinals after that and a bunch more quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. But she, she, the argument could easily be made for her as well. Right. I think if you were a player who came up in the mid-80s and you had to suffer through the Navratilova, Everett, Graf dynasties, then all respect to you. In another era, you may have picked up a few, <laughs> you know. It's not just about to say, well, who won the most tour titles, who made the most finals, who had the most sustained top 10 career. There's also etc. stuff, like what era were you playing in? Mm. If you made finals, who did you lose to? There's so many different things that you can factor in. What were your head-to-head matchups against the top players of your of your era? Right. Which is uh, one of the reasons why in in the men's section, which we can talk about now, Davidenko wouldn't even be on my radar, but his head-to-head against some of the top players when nobody was beating them is better than most. Yeah, and... That said, he didn't make a Grand Slam final. I think at the time, the fact that Davidenko was one of the big challengers was considered a knock on the Federer era. That's an argument you could make mm. if you want to, but that my point is there's a whole bunch of different criteria one can point to. Right. And so these are not absolutes. We're still welcoming feedback and your opinions on this. <laughs> <laughs> We're not here to tell you who the best person yeah. was. And I'm sure us talking about it will elicit even more opinions. On the men's side, my boyfriend Songa, who is newly fathered. Uh, father, fathered. I guess not. <laughs> Who is a new dad. He's a new baby daddy. Mm-hmm. He won with 48% of the vote, and Marcelo Rios got 35%, and the other two were just non-entities in this poll. I think uh, this was a recency effect with this poll. I agree. I don't know. Like it's, uh, it's not a 48% runaway with this poll type of career for Joe Songo. No, I, I don't. I agree with you. And I honestly put him there as kind of a, well, let me stir the pot kind of thing. Mm. That was the one person who I put there was like, well, let me just put this here and see what happens. Because I myself didn't even think it was valid to include him in the four. Mm. That said, he does have a very similar career to Nelbandian. The one slam final, uh, being there or thereabouts having similar total titles won. I f- well, okay, Nelbandian has a very good record against Federer mm-hmm. when Federer was the genius. I mean, he still is, but in the mid-2000s. I, I, I believe it, we may be entering a new, a new genius right? era. <laughs> Part three. He Nelbandian was 8 and 11 against Federer. He beat him in the 2005 World Tour Finals, which, I mean... He went on to own that tournament, Federer. And so, but I do think that Songa and Nobanian are similar in that they should have more titles. Mm-hmm. They should have each won a slam. They should probably have better records against Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. Maybe not Nobanian. He did very well against what Federer. What would Songa's but- career look like now? And you could maybe even ask the question what would Djokovic's career look like now? If Songa had 
gone on from winning that first set in the 08 Australian Open final to win that match. Mm. To have that slam under your belt, how old would it have been then? He would have been like, what, 23 or something like that? To be that yeah, young like in that. that era and to win a slam. Who knows? Marcelo Rios isn't fondly remembered in a lot of people's mind's eye because he was such a bastard. <laughs> he he is one of tennis's great assholes. Yes. There's a long list on his Wikipedia page of uh, like trivia and things that have happened in his life. And they're all like Marcelo Rios gets arrested for pissing on someone. Uh, did, Marce- he re- did he really do that? Yeah, well, he was accused. I don't know if he was arrested. Wasn't he the one who also told um, Monica Seles to move her fat ass out of the line at at Wimbledon in the cafeteria or something? Oh, possibly. Was that her or was it Krychek? I don't... One of the two. Krychek says something about a cow on grass, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like, Krychek is kind of, you know, had this mid-40s renaissance as this tennis statesman now being the tournament (laughs) director in, what is it, Rotterdam? One of the Netherlands tournaments. makes sense. He's Dutch. I don't know. Yeah. And he was a coach at one point, or is coaching somebody that I... But I will never forget, in the non-social media era of the late 90s, I still was able to know about how much of a pig he was. Yeah. So imagine what the full extent (laughs) of that must look like. Right. So, to me, Marcelo Rios is head and shoulders above all comers in this category. And I'll tell you why. Number one. Number one, he was supremely talented. No, I was talking about being number one. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) He was ranked number one. He, I think on the men's side, he has the dubious honor of being the The only slamless number one. Mm -hmm. Um, He was incredibly talented, could really do anything with the ball. And listen, he lost an Australian Open final against somebody who six months later tested positive for an anabolic steroid. So to me, Nandrolone. to me, that's Peter Korda. That Australian Open was stolen from him. Was it? It was. <laughs> the, from a proven doper. And I'm not talking about like glucose supplements you get over the counter. This is like for real Nandrolone, a real steroid. It's not even a Meldonium, you know. <laughs> so you're some kind of expert on anabolic steroids now. No, I'm just saying if it ends in an O-N-E, you know, think carefully. <laughs> I don't feel bad for him. Sorry. I don't feel bad for him, but I think that he probably should have a slam. Okay. And in, in most cases, like if you don't win a slam, it's kind of on you. But he was playing somebody who was a cheater. And he just, he allowed the Kafelnikovs of the world to have those titles. Mm. Like there are so many, you could make the argument of in the annals of tennis history, undeserving men's champions between 98 and 2004. <laughs> I so thought you were, you were just saying that if you win a major, you did that. Yes, you did the they work. did, they did. But I'm just saying Marcelo Rios was more talented than damn near all of them. Mm. Yeah. Of those so-called underachievers. And so him being a head case, let's be real, and not being able to get out of the way of his own temper, because he had a humongous temper on the mm. court. Those were the things, along with his work ethic, that held him back, mm. frankly. That 1998 was a season for the ages. Whole bunch he of won, titles. And he won the Sunshine Double that year. He won Rome. He could, he play, won, on, he could play on hard courts, mm. clay courts. He won the Grand Slam Cup, which is the World Tour Finals, by beating Andre Agassi in that year. Which, as you know, of course, not the end of 98 into 99 was Andre's absolute renaissance. Andre wasn't quite back yet in right, 19. But he was coming. Mm-hmm. And he certainly came. In <laughs> That's sad. That... <laughs> I did not mean it like that. <laughs> yeah, okay, on that note, let's stop and let's go into... Who are some of the other men, though? Oh, right. Um, so listen, Nalbandian, in- I don't, I don't like give an F-U-C-K about Nalbandian after he bludgeoned that line judge by kicking that wood thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't know him. Incredibly, people are legitimately making the case for Tim Henman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, yeah. So there's also Alex Karecha. This, I mean, this poll wasn't the best player never to have made a slam final. To be clear. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm being mean and bitching right. out. 
I loved Tim Henman. I loved watching him play. I loved Severn Volley Tennis, except for when they were beating Agassi. Mm. <laughs> uh, but I was fully on board for him winning a, a Wimbledon. Was really hoping he could finally do it. He made something like five or six straight Wimbledon semis. Like, he got to the last four so many times and couldn't break through. Right. But his game on other surfaces, not quite there. Yeah, I can't get on board there. A lot of people feel Berdick is, is an option. Which, yeah, um, mm. I don't Yeah, I feel lukewarm about that one. Tepid. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather give that to Songa, frankly, than to, to Berdick. Mm. Because of the if it's eye, between those two. The, the eye test of what their games elicit. Yeah. Karecha, Ferrer. I have a soft spot for Karecha. Because mm-hmm. he's cute? Well, yeah, but also that 96... U.S. Open against Sampras? Uh, that, was it 96? The know. vomiting. Oh, oh, yeah. But that's been played so many times over and over during rain delays. Poor thing. And uh, David Ferrer, who, whose career now seems to be on life alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ferrer might be easy to overlook just because of what his game looks like and how hard he has to work mm-hmm. right but his his results have been there mm-hmm. i what... would say like yes if... definitely that french open final consistency at the top you're reaching number four in the world but i think i think he's won one or two masters titles that's a big knock on his record for me who's won masters titles outside of the big four in the last true 10 years true like pretty much damn near nobody mm. Big five, I guess you should say, because Stan has won one or two. <laughs> but nobody's nobody won those. Yeah. For me, the argument for Ferrer as an overachiever is just as compelling as Berdick as an underachiever because he mm. has more talent. I don't I don't you know, like six of one, half a dozen of the yeah. other. Basically this is a fun thought exercise, right? This is not a list that anybody really wants to be on. So to be clear, the four that were on the poll was Todd Martin with 9%, Joe Wilfred Songa, 48%, Miloslav Messier, 8%, and then Marcelo Rios, who got 35%. So in order, it was Songa, Rios, Runaway, 1 and 2, followed by Todd Martin, and then Messier in fourth Mm. place. Which I've never seen Messier play, but from all accounts, and the reason why I put him on this list, those who saw him play in the 80s said he was legit. Mm. And, you know, maybe if we knew more about we, as in the two of us, and also right. the responders to the the poll, if we knew more about 80s tennis and having seen him play more, then we'd be able to put him higher than 8%. Perhaps. That's a big gap in my knowledge there. All right, y'all. It's ready for game show time. Okay. Are you ready to take your quiz? What is it about? I'll give you a hint. I gotta take a dumb quiz. I gotta take a dumb quiz. I should know this. My my mind is scrambled. That's okay. It's from the Venus and Serena documentary. Oh. It's about Venus. Oh my god. Your favorite god. topic. Now I'm going to look like such a loser if I don't get them right. I tried I, to so, be fair, I guess I did the same to you when, with Serena's right. quiz, right? I tried not to make it obvious, but also not too hard. So we'll see. Okay, is he ready? I is ready. Stop making so much noise with papers. (laughs) We still use paper. This is 1901. So, okay, question one. True or false? Venus had one loss on the USTA Junior Tour. False. That's correct. She had none. Uh, Number two. In John Wertheim's book, Venus Envy, Orsine Price is referred to by a name that is not her actual first name. It's a nickname. Do you know what it is? I I know, but I don't remember. Okay. That one's that was a tough one. Brandy. Brandy, yes. <laughs> so number three, Venus has won several titles at tournaments that no longer exist. Can you name any of them? That no longer exist? Right. Amelia Island? Very good. What wow, are the others? That didn't take long. <laughs> I didn't want to trick you, but I thought it was gonna be a little harder. Okay. Um, the U.S. National Indoors in Oklahoma City, which was her first title. The Grand Slam Cup, 
which I mean sort of exists, but it doesn't really. Uh, Hamburg on clay. Zurich, San Diego, which he won a few times. Antwerp, the Diamond Games, which became a uh, an exhibition. And Warsaw. Okay. Which professional golfer did Venus date Hank for? Hank Keening. Is that how you say it? Yep. Okay. That's when I used to watch golf religiously every weekend. And it was a very peculiar choice. Let me tell you, I still don't understand. But it went it. on for a few years. It did. Like a dopey looking dude. Okay. So Venus's first career final was in 1997. Where was it? And who was the opponent? U.S. Open. No, that was a semifinal. No, it was U.S. Open. Martina Hingis. Correct. How many career titles? 49. Out of how many finals? That's going to be a guess. I'm going to say 73. 81. Oh. It was good of you to guess fewer. <laughs> Can you name a recent Grand Slam champion, meaning in the past five years, whom Venus has never beaten? In the last five years. Mm-hmm. She's beaten Muguruza last five years. And it is someone who she has played multiple times. Multiple times. Five years would take us back to 2012. <sighs> Can you give me a clue? Um, I suppose I could. I don't know what would not give it away, though. Is the person still active? No. Hmm. Grand Slam champion. Oh, Lina. Correct. She has played her three times and has never won. After Serena... Okay, I feel like this is an easy one. After Serena, Venus has played this opponent the most times. Hingis. Davenport. Oh, that makes sense. Can you name a male player who's not Rajiv Ram, who she's played mixed doubles with? Yes, I can. Will you? (laughs) (laughs) That she's played mixed doubles with. Roddick. No. Maybe in an exhibition. That does not count. One of the Bryans. Yes. I don't know which one is which. It starts with B. (laughs) (laughs) Bob Brown. I guess I I can give you that one, but like, Serena played with the other one, so it's not really fair. The other ones are Justin Gimmelstab. Oh, I knew that. Mark. That's why I threw that out of my Mm. mind. Mark Knowles and a South African player named Christo Van Rensburg. Hmm. Don't know him. This is number 10. Which male player did Venus and Serena catcall at the Australian Open when they were teens? Catcall? (laughs) (laughs) How do I not know this? When Uh, they were teens, mm -hmm. so that's like before 2001. Was Venus a teenager or when Serena was a teenager? I think they were both teenagers at the time. Okay, so call it 99, 98 or 99, I will... Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I'll tell you what they said. What did they say? They said, (laughs) hey, lover boy. (sighs) Pat Rafter? Yes. (laughs) He was a babe. I mean, they weren't wrong. Okay, number 11. Only one women's doubles team has won more Grand Slams than Venus and Serena. Who? I feel like this is too easy. Okay. Navratilova Schreiber. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who, which team is tied with Venus and Serena at 14? For most Slams won? Yeah. Uh, Women's. Fernandez Vereva? Yeah. God, this quiz is really too easy, isn't it? I've gotten a fair share wrong. Okay. Not really. Who does Venus cite as her favorite tennis player? Billie Jean King. Favorite male tennis player? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Somebody who was active when she started? I'm not giving you any more clues. As her favorite male tennis player? Hmm. Active or retired? Sampras? Yeah. Okay. And the final question, this is not actually a quiz question. There's no wrong answer. What is your favorite Venus match ever? What kind of question is this? <laughs> what? It's a sentimental it's a, question. It says Sophie's choice. <laughs> what Venus match gives you the most joy? Right now, I'm going to go with the one last night. <laughs> because that one gave me lots of joy, and I'm still riding high from that beatdown of Svetlana Kuznetsova. 
not a beatdown. Beatdown in the sense that I didn't expect her to win, mm-hmm. and she won in straight sets. And those last two points were everything. Yo, yo, she showed everything in those mm. points. That's the number one on our big ups list. Yeah. To give another answer, I will say I really enjoyed her Montreal semifinal win over Serena. Yes. A couple years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it were me, I have to go with the obvious. The 2005 Devonport. Wimbledon final. Amazing. Classic. We have it on DVD. All great choices. <laughs> I wasn't going to go with the most obvious ones. Like, but my, my Venus fandom... And the joy I get from Venus's career has most to do with her successes in her later career, mm. post and in the midst of Sjogren's disease. Okay, so what's next on the game show list? Spelling Bee. Who's going first? Am I being quizzed first? Yeah, I'm going to quiz you first because I just did something, right? Mm-hmm. Can I uh, write like um, like imaginary letters like the Spelling Bee kids do? Sure, if you need to. <laughs> We're each going to give the other eight tennis players that's what you told me you told me you had eight okay i think i have enough eight tennis players and we have to spell the first and the last name we talked about this don't look surprised No, only if they're only if like the first name is hard just do it like i can spell difficult i can spell chris you know like yeah but is it k-r-i-s is it c-r-i-s is it c-r you know like there are variations on simple names fine no these are players who are all retired and who we should be reasonably expected to know who they are. Mm-hmm. Spell Ivan Gulagal. Okay. E V O N N E G O O L A G O N G. Correct. Joe Dury. J O space <laughs> D U R I E. See, I was hoping the simplicity would throw you off. Ah. Uh. That's what mm, I was going for there. Yeah. Before your time as a tennis fan, Amanda Kutzer. Yeah, I know how to spell Amanda. Spell it. A M A N D A. If I got that one wrong, I would never live it down. C O E T Z E R. Say what now? Z? Yeah, I'm Canadian now. Mm. Malin too. Mailin too. M-E-I-L-E-N-T-U. Why Why do you know that? I don't know. I just remember these things. Anna Chakvatadze. A-N-N-A-C-H-A-K-V-E-T-A-D-Z-E. Now you're doing Z's. <laughs> <laughs> it's still more natural. Virginia Ruana Pasquale. Virginia... V-I-R-G-I-N-I-A. Ruano is R-U-A-N-O hyphen P-A-S-C-U-A-L. So that's six out of six so far. (laughs) This one was a top 15 player for quite a while. And if you don't know this person, that's too bad, but Mm -hmm. you're still expected to spell it. Okay. Julie Alar de Cushy. Have you heard of this person? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So J U L I E H A L A R D hyphen D E C U G I S. You're just too much. <laughs> and the last one for you to make a total mockery of my spelling bee mm. test, Elena Likotseva. So you say the the hardest for last, I think. Okay, so E-L-E-N-A, and then L-I-K-H-O-V-T-S-E-V-A. A hearty fuck you to you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. My turn. It's hard to get, like, because A, I don't want to pick names to make it seem like I'm making fun of people's names because they're, like, foreign. Right. Because, hello, like, why should an Anglo name be that much more difficult to spell than a Spanish name? Mm. You know, if it ends up being all Russian or Spanish names, then it's like, maybe that's reflective of me. (laughs) I think you don't need to beat yourself up over this because we speak English as our first language. (laughs) We don't speak Russian. (laughs) And 
I'm not going to apologize for not knowing how to speak Russian. Well, apparently you know how to spell everything, so. <laughs> okay, I feel like mine are easy. Well, Like, I wasn't feeling very mean today. We will see. Okay. These are ones that are have just been a little tricky for me, let's say. Okay. Alex Korecha. A-L-E-X-C-O-R-R-E-T-J-A. Yeah, yeah. I never Do you know, know where to put the J before that's, the T? That's why it's tricky, right? Goran Ivanisevich. I knew you were going to put that. G-O-R-A-N-I-V-A-N-I-S-E-V-I-C. Yeah. You're very fast when you spell. <laughs> it makes me nervous. <laughs> okay. Yarko Nieminen. Oh. J-A-R-K-O-N-I-E-M-E-N-E-N? No. no. There were two errors. There's two Ks. Oh. And then it's N-I-E-M-I-N-E-N. Sigh. I lose the spelling bee again. Well, it's not over. <laughs> you got it all right. Well, yeah, but you still have to do it. Okay. Well, you thought I was just going to No, no, stop? no, no. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Mark Philippousis. M-A-R-K-P-H-I-L-I-P-P-O-U-S-S-I-S. Yes, well done. Richard Krychek. R-I-C-H-A-R-D-K-R-A-J-I-C-E-K. Mm-hmm. That's another one. Where do you put the J? Right? I'm good with my J's. Apparently. We are we are both J's. <laughs> um, this is one that sounds simple, but it has uh, given me trouble in the past. Okay. The last name. Adriano Panata, who was Bjornborg's bugaboo mm-hmm. way yeah, back. In the mid-70s. Say that again, please. Adriano. Adriano. Panata. Panata. A-D-R-I-A-N-O. Mm-hmm. P-A-N-A-T-T-A. Yes. No double I always, N? I always want to put two Ns. He's Italian. You should know this, right? Right. right. Sergei Ruggera. Is that how you say his first name? Sergei. Ser- okay. S-E-R-G-E-I. No. What? That's why I said it. It's S-E-R-G-I. Oh. But it's B-R-U-G-U-E-R-A. Yes. Yeah. Okay, one more. Paradorn Srichafan. P-A-R-A-D-O-R-N. S-C-H-R. Can I start over? <laughs> yes, you may. Yes, that's within the rules. P-A-R-A-D-O-R-N. S-R-I-C-H-A-P-H-A-N. Oh, well done. And very wise to start over. <laughs> because you are allowed to do that in the real spelling bee, you know. And change it? As long as you don't finish the word, I think. Oh, I think yeah. you have to start over, but you have to say what you said before, no? Oh, do you? Mm. Still too late. Sorry, I got I it know, right. Too late. They, they ring that little bell. Mm-hmm. Mine was harder than yours. Oh, I thought it was going to be easy. It wasn't. It was a good quiz, but mine was like super easy. Okay. Okay. So, oh, you mean like the test that I took? Yeah. yeah was you're, you're, oh. No, the one that you took was easier. You think so? Yeah. Oh, alors desugi, <laughs> desugi. <laughs> oh my god. So now I'm gonna reveal the answer to name the tennis player. Do you have? Well, before I do that, mm. let me remind listeners of what the five clues were. Centurion, chest bump, 6235, Serena Slam, and Double Mint. Yeah. Do you have a guess? Yeah. Brian Brothers. Fuck, man. Was it that easy? Yeah. Chest bump. Oh. Double, what is Double Mint? Double Mint. Double Twins. your pleasure. Twins. Yeah. It was too easy? Sorry, it was easy. <sighs> I think it was, the, the chest bump is going to give it away every time. Really? Yeah. See, I I had golden boys as, but then the boys oh, would have well, been still, plural. If it's plural, then you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's hard. So Centurion, they've won over 100 doubles titles. Yeah. Chess Bump, they're famous for doing that. 6235, the number of slams they've won in order. Right. Australian, French, Wimbledon, US. Serena Slam, they've won their version of a Serena Slam. Mm. And then Double Mint, the, the gum. With all those famous commercials with the twins. Yeah. 
So this was a massive failure is what you're saying? No, it was just a little bit easy, which is fine. Okay. Because some of them have been really hard in the past. Yeah, some, some of the clues have been very obscure. If you want to go back and try your hand at some of the old Name the Tennis Players, just go to Twitter and use the hashtag Name the Tennis Player. Uh-huh. There's a whole bunch of them there. So what, what do we have left? We have Big Ups. This episode is all about, um, well, aside from John McEnroe, uh, celebrating. What else do we celebrate? So, of course, I mean, there's Venus beating Svetlana Kuznetsova last night. And, like, we love Svetlana. Mm-hmm. However, in that match, we have to move for Venus. Like, there's there's, there's no, no question. Choice, no. You know? But, and it was unfortunate that these two had to meet so early in Miami because Svetlana was the finalist last year. Right? Yes. She was the Serena vanquisher. She was the finalist in Indian Wells last week. Right. And just watching her on a hard court, or really any court, is a treat. And look, Venus now plays Kerber in the quarterfinals. If she wins that match, she will be provisionally number nine in the rankings. And she will finish top ten at the end of Miami if Wozniacki doesn't beat Kanta in the final. Mm. Okay. So... (laughs) There, those three women, Venus, Kanta, and Wozniacki, all have a chance of being in the top 10 at the end of the tournament with the possibility of two of them being top 10. But Venus needs to beat Kerber first. Mm. That's the first like. Okay. And her beating Svetlana was doubly sweet because I've been seeing quite a bit in the last few weeks of these people coming out of the woodwork. And we talked about this in previous episodes mm. to diminish Right, it's never explicitly stated to diminish, but that's that's what it really is about. Venus's strong play in the last two years. Right. That she hasn't beaten a top ten player since Wuhan in twenty fifteen. Hmm. Which is a stretch of time, sure, but that only spans four matches against top ten players. It's not like she's gone 0 and ten. Okay. Like she's won the matches that she's supposed to win to get deep into tournaments and other people haven't. Right. And so now that's behind her. And if she can notch a win against a number one, that'd be even more icing on the cake. It certainly would. Looking past the next match, the type of tennis that Venus is playing this week is exciting, especially in light of what she looked like in Indian Wells, Well, she, which wasn't terrible because she sort of played into form. She's finally uh, playing without any strapping. Right. And the serve looks 10 times better and the ground game is good right so i mean the ground game was what was keeping her afloat last week and her net game has been much improved like she's hit a couple of real sweet volleys one that got her wta shot of the day oh yeah Uh uh-huh and then her net play at the end of the match last night against kuznetsova was huh you go watch that match point i mean yeah look at on match point that little nifty shoelace volley that Mm -hmm. just died at the net I maintain that, you know, people are like, well, why is Venus playing Indian Wells looking like she did? Oh my God, is she going to play Miami? Hmm. And then now we see Richard Williams is in the stands and on site at Miami. You think that Venus doesn't find it damn important to have a good run and win this Miami title for Richard who doesn't travel to tennis tournaments anymore? Like, Richard looks totally different from the last time we'd have seen him, right? He's legit looking like an old man now. Mm -hmm. Like, this is... These are the the non-tennis milestone, etc. things that somebody like Venus could be playing for that we're not privy to. Well, I and he had a stroke last year. Yeah. He hasn't been back to a tennis match since then. So this is special, yeah. I imagine. And it's home for Venus. She mm-hmm. considers South Florida her home now, and she loves playing there. Other big ups? Taylor Townsend winning two matches in qualifying. And then won two matches in the main draw, including one against Roberta Vinci. Got to the round of 32 and played Svetlana Kuznetsova. Taylor Townsend, who's no longer getting wild cards into these events, right? She's doing this now all on her Mm. own. Nick Kyrgios is stringing together good results week after week now, looking more engaged, more with it on the tennis court. Good for him. Mm -hmm. And doing it against not top players which is important not just beating Djokovic back he can always get up for for the big guys but I think what's encouraging is he said as much in press that that's his challenge 
And also encouraging is seeing some uh, positive body language from Kyrgios on the court when things are not going well. Big ups to Alex Zverev, who I just saw beat Stan Wawrinka today. He is coming. And he beat John Isner in the round prior, saving mm-hmm. match points. The evil has been defeated. There is there anything better in tennis than John Isner losing a third set tiebreak? Like that is just <laughs> glorious. I was in the kitchen cooking and you were doing you're like fiddling around with this new equipment that mm-hmm. we got trying to figure it out ahead of like Charleston, you know, like whatever. Yeah. And you came into the kitchen, you're gonna tell me something like, listen, 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 he's about to lose. A third set tiebreak. <laughs> I feel like being broken a bunch of times would be more, even more pleasurable, don't you think? No, because the third set tiebreak is where you have the supreme advantage as mm. a big server, in theory. Well, see you in, uh, I don't know, Washington? See you in another third round. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the new doubles pairing of Hingis Chan won Indian Wells in just their third event together. We made light of the Mladenovic-Garcia split, saying that Martina's going to be on the phone right away, Mm. right? But she seems to be happy with Chen, and they have success now. Yep. And that's no small title, winning Indian Wells. Outside of the Grand Slams, that's damn near the biggest paycheck Martina will see on the WTA Tour in doubles. So kudos to them. Also, big ups to the three new iTunes reviews that we got. A five-star out of Australia? My God. (laughs) Thank you, Australia. Renewing our hope in humanity. (laughs) We appreciate it. Also, Dan Ward, who I'll be meeting next week in Charleston. Thank you. And also, Claire from the UK. We very much appreciate all the love. Thank you so much. Uh, And as always, thank you for tuning in. I hope you found this episode a little bit fun. And different. We wanted to do a little bit of a change of pace. Mm. Uh, So, obviously, please stay tuned for Jonathan's Dispatches from Charleston. Uh, It's going to be, you know, quite a different format for us because we'll be in different cities, in different countries. Yeah, if you enjoyed our coverage from Cincinnati last year, hopefully this will be equally, if not more, enjoyable. As always, we are begging for iTunes reviews with our hands outstretched. So please, if you enjoy the show, let everyone know on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at TheBodyServe. I'm Jonathan on Twitter at SportsscribeCA. And I'm James at ElliotJMR. Two L's, two T's. And also check us out on Instagram. We're also at TheBodyServe. And you can probably check out some of Jonathan's Charleston pics. Yeah. I'm excited to get a lot more photos of WTA players. It's just worked out in the past that a lot of the events we've been to has been ATP events. And also, mm-hmm. let's be real, like, we have more of an interest in snapping. More like, of, I think, well, first of all, you're the one taking the pictures. Okay. I think you're talking about more of a thirst. Yes, there, there's a certain yeah. thirst level right. to blame for the discrepancy in the number of ATP to WTA photos that have you know yeah. been put forth I so know. I'm, I'm looking I to know. rectify that thanks for tuning in till next time <laughs> <laughs>